My guest today on the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast is Mark Shaw. Mark has been an executive and life coach for 13 years, as well as a top instructor at a top coaching training school, the Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching, also known as IPEC. I'm sure you will enjoy this conversation as much as I do. I got to ask him pretty deep questions, and I got some fantastic answers. I learned a lot. I know you will, too. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level, while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. So, Mark Shaw, welcome. Welcome to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Um, just for by way of introduction, tell us a little bit, how, how, how did you get into coaching? Uh, I was born. That's how I got into <laughs> coaching. So, uh, I often say that, actually, that uh, it's, it's for me, uh, coaching has always been sort of a life calling kind of, uh, kind of career as opposed to a job kind of career. Um, I've always been a life coach. It's what I was born to do. And I'm really absolutely clear on that. Um, I thought I wanted to be a psychotherapist. Uh, originally, so I went to school for psychology and uh, grad school for counseling, and I ended up going into a higher ed career, which little did I know that was going to plant the seeds for coaching because uh, I was helping students learn and develop and grow by counseling and advising students who lived in the residence halls. Um, and I realized, yeah, I didn't want to be a psychotherapist. I didn't want to work with people who necessarily didn't have good prognoses for how they were going to turn out in their life. I liked working with people that they were going to be fine with or without me, but it's really about enhancing and taking everything to a next level and really increasing joy and happiness. Uh, life coaching didn't exist yet at the time. What time uh, was that? When was that? That was, let's see, uh, you're going to make me date myself. So let's see. So I graduated college in 1985. Oh, wow. Uh, finished grad school with my master. Huh? I'm just kidding. Cause I graduated um, college in 1979, so. Oh, okay, yeah, so pretty close. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I finished grad school in 88, and, uh, you know, life coaching wasn't a thing. And then I kind of found my way into personal development work and started hearing about coaching and did a couple of workshops and met people who were coaches. And, uh, and then I had a friend who uh, had gone for a certification in coaching. And when he originally told me that he was going for uh, back to school to become a certified life coach, I actually laughed at him because it was such a new thing. And I was like, are they certified life coaches now? Like, really? Good luck with that. And then I saw a profound change in him, his communication style, his work that he was doing with clients. And I was like, that's what I have always wanted to do. And mm. I knew that. So he said to me, he says, Mark, I know you better than anybody because he had known me for like 20 years at that point. And he says, this kind of work is so you. You are meant for this. He said, and if I know you any better, you'll take this coach training program that I took and end up working for them. And that is exactly what happened. I took the program three months later. Um, and before I was even done with the program, my instructor uh, actually said, you know, we're looking for instructors. And I loved your presentation that you did in front of the room. Uh, let's talk. Wow. And set me on the road to become an instructor. Professional excellence in coaching, right? Yeah, the Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching, also called IPEC uh, for short, IPEC Coaching, yeah. And uh, we're one of the top tra coach training programs uh, in the world, so I'm actually quite proud uh, that that's been my trajectory. Uh, I've actually heard some rumor that you are, uh, by at least one ranking system, the number one 
in the world. Is that? Uh, yeah. So actually, um, I believe it was a PricewaterhouseCoopers did a, uh, a survey on their own. We didn't even know that they were doing it. Uh, and they did a survey to find the top coach training school in the world to send their teams to. And no such study had ever been done. So being PricewaterhouseCoopers, they commissioned one. Um, and they made it happen. And uh, again, we didn't even know. And they determined that it was us. So, uh, wow, we have one of the top trainers for the top place in the world here on the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. I'm, I'm all a tingle. That's so cool. Hey, so um, <laughs> I, cool. I really do have a really important question I want to ask you. Up till now, um, most of the people on this podcast have been NLP trainers, NLP uh, certified whatevers. You know, a lot of, lot of luminaries in the NLP world. Connie Ray Andreas has been on here, for goodness sake. Um, and I know that there are a lot of people in the coaching world that know nothing about NLP. And much of my, many of my conversations with the NLP people have been like, how the heck can a person do coaching without knowing anything about NLP? How is it even possible? And of course, most of them would be saying, I don't know, how could it possibly be possible? Because I'm always doing NLP, you know, language is NLP. Now you, Mark Schall, are one of the few people that I know who actually I think started in that world of the non-NLP coaching world, but you've gotten certified in, in NLP. So let me ask you that question. How can people, or do they do it without knowing, how can people do coaching without knowing anything about NLP? It, that's, a, that's a great question. It's a great question, Doug. I think that, um, I mean, clearly they can because they do. Yeah. I think NLP is a whole other skill set that just takes it to a whole other level. And, uh, once you have that skill set, you do wonder, how did I do without it? Uh-huh. Uh, almost like the people that come through our program, right, where they've never learned anything about coaching before, and now they learn the basic coaching skills, and they're like, how did I ever get through life without knowing this mm. stuff? Right. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's always just, it's always relative to the previous, yeah. you know, That's to true. the previous level. Um, and I think, too, uh, a lot of coaches, you know, because they're highly intuitive, um, I think they generally probably practice a lot of the stuff that, that's taught in NLP already intuitively without knowing it. Um, I know that before I knew much about NLP, some of my students would say, oh, this program is so NLP based. And I never understood why they would say that because what little I knew of NLP, I didn't see how our program was. Now that I'm certified as an NLP practitioner, I'm like, oh, my God, it's all NLP. Huh. Um, you know, so the, the, the skills like planting a seed, you know, and things like that, or, you know, saying when you're successful at that, what will your life be like instead of saying if you're successful at that. Mm-hmm. That's all NLP based. Um, and that's what we're doing anyway. All right. It's NLP based without necessarily knowing that it was NLP based, but it is still the same sensitivity to what language happens, what, what happens with particular choices of words, what happens when you ask certain questions as opposed to something else. Um, yeah, that's what NLP is all about. Yeah, and I, obviously NLP didn't invent language, didn't invent questions. Um, one of the first NLP things that ever was created was called the, is called the meta model, and I think that was created by the creators of NLP, Richard Bandler and John Grinder, before they named the field NLP. It was one of the things that John Grinder taught in his linguistics class at uh, the Univers- University of Santa Cruz. But that's really all questioning and it almost comes out of that linguistics model that Grinder was teaching at the university you know so it's about questioning and, and noticing that people delete generalize and distort information so how do you get that information back so a question like well how specifically do you mean that 
might sound to an NLPer like an obvious NLP question, and it is. And somebody in the coaching world, you know, wants specificity as well. Like, what exactly do you mean by that statement? Or what exactly is your goal? Like, how will you know specifically when you get there? I'm imagining is part and parcel of what you do as a coach as well. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's interesting because I'm actually currently taking a, a six-week course on uh, NVC, nonviolent communication, through the Center for Nonviolent Communication here in New York. And one of the things that um, Marshall Rosenberg, uh, says within the line of that work is certain sentence structures and patterns can induce empathy and other emotional experiences in others. And that's a whole thing that nonviolent communication is based on carefully choosing your words, requesting empathy, uh, enabling somebody else to feel empathy for you by asking certain questions, which creates connection, better communication, better outcomes and whatnot. So yeah, they're, they're pretty universal concepts that I find, uh, NLP has given names to, mm-hmm. yeah. right? but they've you know already existed. Yeah, yeah, it's very very true. Thank you. That's, that answers that question quite well. Thank you. Tell me what this is called the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. What if anything would you say is like an essential coaching skill that you know if it's whether it's NLP and asking questions or rapport skills or whatever. What what do you think is essential for a coach to be able to do well in order to be an excellent coach for someone else? Yeah, you know, there's actually four skills that I identify that I use in my in my coaching practice that I teach most of my clients as well, just to enhance their relationships. Right. Um, and you know, those are the reflective listening or acknowledging and, and validating. Um, so you you're know, saying reflective listening is one of them. Yeah, reflective listening, or as it also might be known as acknowledging and validating, Um, and uh, clarifying. When you say such and such, what exactly do you mean? There you go. Yeah. Um, And then there's also uh, the the whole idea of of asking powerful questions um, that are open-ended, thought-provoking, search, you know, soul-seeking real deep sort of questions that cause a client to really have to go somewhere in their creative mind to find an answer. Um, and that are less information gathering questions for the coach more than they are exploration questions for the client. So that's the third one. And then the fourth one, which I actually find is more useful in, in, uh, in personal relationships than in coaching, even though it is essential in coaching, but it's even more essential is permission asking, you know, like, can I challenge you for a second about something that you just said hmm. mm-hmm. rather than just challenging it right now in a coaching relationship with a paying client, the answer is always yes. That's what they're coming for. They want that challenge. They want to be pushed. They want to grow. But of course we do it anyway for some very good reasons. Um, but I find in a personal relationship with a friend or a relative or a parent, and there's you know some sticky stuff that you got to kind of get through in a difficult conversation that could be a really, really powerful way of communicating. You know, um, can I just take a moment and summarize what I just heard you say to make sure I got it right? Or can I challenge? Can I push you on that? <laughs> um, you know, can I give you some pushback for a moment? Would that be okay? That's great. Very helpful. So I teach this four to my clients. Can I ask you to elaborate a little bit on those four um, points? Like the first one, what is reflective listening for our listeners who don't know what that is? Yeah. So it's really about paraphrasing back what the other person has said, mm-hmm. uh, including both the feeling that they expressed and the content uh, of what they told you led to that feeling. So it okay. would sound like... Let me stop for a second. 
paraphrasing back or repeating back like exactly what they said? Uh, either one I find is helpful. Sometimes I find a paraphrase is, is helpful as long as it's accurate. It's got to be an accurate paraphrase, right? And sometimes using their exact words can be very powerful uh, depending on the situation. Okay. Right. So, um, so then you do that when a person is, is elaborating on something that they've been talking about. You want to just get clarity on that. So you ask them to say it again and, and you, be sure that you've heard what they said precisely. So you um, yeah. So it's more like, um, so I might say something like, uh, so, so what I'm hearing right now, Doug, is that it's really important for you to get clarity on, on what I'm saying right now. So you'd like me to repeat yeah. what I said. Right. Um, you know, or, wow. So what I'm hearing is, you know, when uh, when your husband said that to you when you were out to dinner with friends, uh, that really had you feel embarrassed and hurt. Um, so that would be like the acknowledgement part of that. The validation being letting them know that their feelings make sense and are totally understandable. You know, it's understandable that you feel embarrassed and hurt because that was very, very personal um, and it was in front of other people. Cool. So let me just stop you again. So um, <clears throat> when you do something like that, when it's getting into a, like a personal, you know, event sort of thing for the person that, you know, this thing happened at dinner with their husband or whatever. Um, do you find at that point that it is more valuable to say exactly the words they said or is it paraphrase something at that point that you would be to use? Because I'll tell you, for me, um, as an NLP practitioner, um, I recognize that Words are anchors, as we put it in NLP. You know, the words themselves are representative. I, I, I chose that word because that word means something to me. And so it may not mean the same thing to somebody else, but that word has that response to me. So when somebody says something with a particular word, I try to make sure I use that word for that person. Is that true? Yeah. So, you know, so, it, so it's interesting. I never really consciously thought about this distinction I'm about to make, but I, but I do it automatically. It depends on what I'm going for in that moment. Mm -hmm. If it's just for clarity and validation, paraphrasing will be okay. Then if I want to explore it further and get the deeper meaning, I'll come back to it and I'll use the exact words. So it might be, so your husband embarrassed you in front of everybody. He said something mm -hmm. and it embarrassed you and you were upset. I'm, that might be my focus for the moment just to get the clarity. Right. And then to clear some of the, the smoke be like, you know, it makes sense. That could be a very embarrassing thing to happen. Many people would, would, would feel that way in the same situation. And then I might want to go deeper. I might say, so can I ask you something else? Sure. So you told me that he said, ba-bum, ba-bum, ba-bum. Okay. Exactly. Did, what emotions did you feel the moment you heard ba-bum, ba-bum, ba-bum? And then it brings them back into the, the situation, right? So they're more associated in it now. So it's really about dissociation or association. If I want them associated in it, then I'll use the exact words, especially if I really sense that those were trigger words. Right, right. right? And if I don't want them associated because I, I, I'm kind of going at the 50,000 foot view for now, I will intuitively and deliberately <laughs> uh, not go there. Gotcha. Yeah, beautiful. Love it. And then the second point is, is clarifying which I think is, seems to be very tied into the first one. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So if somebody was to say to me, you know, I just want more freedom in my relationship. Okay, so I'm hearing you want more freedom in your relationship, right? And lots of people talk about freedom in their relationships being important. So that makes sense, right? That's an acknowledging and validating. Um, and so I'm curious, when you say freedom, 
What's that actually mean to you? Freedom. Right. Cut deeper. I mean, I know what freedom means, right? We all know the word freedom, right? But I want to know when you use it. Yeah, exactly. How does that look for you? The relationship with that word that, you know, and definitions of what it means, how will you know when you get it, et cetera. That's right. And then somebody might reveal something very interesting when they give a particular example of what freedom is or what freedom isn't, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Somebody might say, yeah. yeah, you know, like growing up, my mom was never allowed to utter a word without my dad's permission. That's not freedom. Wow. There's a whole bunch of rich stuff in that answer now <laughs> because I asked about freedom. And then the third point was to ask really deep and penetrating questions that, uh, so tell us. Yeah. So it, rather than, so let's see, empower, a powerful, deep, enriching question might be something like, um, so if you had all the freedom that you need in your relationship, you just had that right now. We wave a magic wand. It's there. What's different in your life now? You know, or what about freedom is important to you? What aspect of freedom is most important to you? Right? These are really deep, powerful questions rather than just, so why freedom? Why is it important? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know, really something that gets the client to dig deep. That's going to give them an insight about themselves too. Yeah. It does seem to me that you are going quite deep with these these, these uh, theoretical examples that we're working with here. That if I was the client that was talking about, with you about this situation with my husband that happened and he embarrassed me in the restaurant, and then I just don't have any freedom in this relationship, and you started asking questions like the examples you've been giving, I'd be like, "This may not be psychotherapy, but it sure is psychotherapy." <laughs> Right. There's often an overlap. And that's one of the things, too, that I always talk about with my clients before they become clients is how is this different from therapy? You know, how is it different from mentoring? How is it different from consulting? Right. Um, So I often tell people it sometimes feels like therapy because we go deep, you know, because it's really about uncovering the past in order to learn from it, not to dwell in it and heal it. That's therapy. Not to dwell in it or heal it. Yeah. But to learn from it. But to learn from it, to get some insights, to use today to move forward and be unblocked in moving forward, right? And if someone can accomplish that in coaching, great. Now, if they can't because that stuff is too deep and they've never dealt with it, that might be a client that isn't ready for coaching, or at least not on that topic. Mm -hmm. And that might be somebody who I would then refer uh, to a therapist to to iron some of those issues out. Um, You know, for example, if... uh, I have a client that said that they um, they had some sexual abuse in their in their life history, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get a sense of um, is that something where the healing work around that has been done, mm-hmm. or is it the first time they're ever really telling anybody about it? Right. Because if it's the latter, I'm not going to be equipped to handle that and do very extensive work with that. That's something that somebody with very, very different kind of training needs to take care of. And in fact, I would do more harm than good if I tried to take that on. Right. So knowing your limitations as a coach becomes very important. But if it's like, Oh yeah, I was in therapy for like 10 years and it's, it's, I'm in a good place with it. And every now and then I'm reminded of it. It comes up. I know where it is and blah, 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 you know? Okay. Then, then I'm not too concerned. Uh, about it. I'll keep it in the back of my mind as something that may be an issue to check in with. Um, 
But, you know, so that's how it differs from therapy. We don't do the healing work on that kind of stuff, but we do go into the past and we learn. Like somebody might have a limiting belief, like you're not supposed to call somebody, I don't know, under such and such circumstances, right? You know, somebody dies, you're supposed to wait for them to call you. You're not supposed to call them. Something like that, right? Like, well, where's that belief come from? Well, that's how we handled it in my family. Oh, tell me more about that. And they might have several stories. And it's like, so great. So you learned to interact with the world about this particular issue in this way, right? And now what I'm hearing is you're having a little challenge around it. What do you see in that? No, I could believe something else that might work better for me. You know, so now we're not going into the whole dynamic of the family growing up for the next 12 sessions, right? It's just like, ah, so we just learned something. Now let's bring that back into the present to move you forward. What do you want to do differently now that you've distinguished that? Cool. I love it. I love it. It's a very good distinction as well because, you know, when I first learned coaching from Thomas Leonard all those years ago, um, one of the things he often said that, you know, coaching is not therapy. Coaching is not consulting. So, you know, as an example, one of my coach clients is is a developer in Florida. You know, I know nothing about developing in Florida. He's making a huge buildings that are happening but I've been a very successful coach for him over the years but we're not doing therapy I'm not you know uncovering his deepest darkest and healing the past and I'm also not doing consulting because I, I like I said know nothing about his business model but coaching has the ability to help people in a variety of you know enterprises and businesses to be better at that because they can be better you know as people and they're more effective as a human yeah, exactly. And, you know, think about this, too. So, you know, perhaps, you know, one of the things that somebody as a developer needs to be able to do well might be negotiation mm-hmm. in a business setting, right? Well, there can be all kinds of things that hold a human being back from being a good negotiator, their own fears, their own limiting beliefs and self-doubts, past experiences with negotiating that didn't work out. So they hold themselves back, yeah. right? And when they get like, yeah, I do that and it doesn't serve me. Great. That's a release that really moves them forward. And I don't have to know anything about the kind of development they're doing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, that's what you're saying. Yeah. 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 And, you know, the same thing is true with, I mean, the same person. I, was, I don't want to dwell on this at all, but, um, you know, he is, has to do a lot of public presentations. So we just work on how do you make a more effective public presentation and word choices and, you know, gestures. And we send him articles that I found about, you know, how you make big gestures and, and giving public talks and that sort of thing. So I'm not exactly coaching him that, but I'm offering materials that will help him to do that and find a way of doing it himself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I'm sorry, what was your fourth point? There was the, the... Asking permission. Asking permission. Tell, us, tell me more about that. So, or did we cover that one? No, clarification we covered. Yeah, asking permission. So, you know, so with a client, it's certainly, you know, before going to a sensitive area, with a client, mm-hmm. uh, broadsiding them with a question uh, that goes deep. Uh, permission asking is really important. It's like, you know, you said something before about your relationship with your dad uh, growing up. You kind of mentioned it in passing. Um, can I ask you something about that? Or I think it, it may have some relevance here. How would you feel about we explore that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Rather than just going, so tell me about this thing with your dad. If they're not prepared for that, they might not have been prepared to go there, especially if they only mentioned it in passing and kind of dropped it, right? They probably weren't expecting me to dive into it. So they need to be prepared. They need to either have a moment to go, oh, 
okay, bring it on, right? Um, or they need to be able to go, you know what? I know I mentioned it and I'm actually not comfortable going there. So if you cannot ask me about that right now, that would be great. And it gives them power and choice to be able to say that, right? Whereas if I just ask the question, well, now it's ripped open and they didn't have a choice, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's about safety for the client um, or client might say, like I had a client today actually who was telling me about something that she interpreted that her boss um, was saying um, by falling silent when she asked him a certain question. And she clearly had an interpretation of what his silence meant. And as she's telling me the story, I'm getting like, I, I'm not getting that that's what he meant. And I get, I don't have the personal history with, with him that, that she has, but still I, I just wasn't getting that. But I knew she was very entrenched in her interpretation of what happened in that conversation. So for me to say out of nowhere, you know what? I heard something different. I didn't hear him saying that. I'm going to get resistance. That's not going to be helpful to her or to the session, the progression of the session. So I acknowledged and validated. Right? I said, yes, yeah, so I'm hearing this is what you heard. So of course, you felt a little triggered by that. Um, you know, can I, can I challenge you for a moment on, on, on what I heard you say you heard in that conversation? Sure. I said, because I heard something a little different. I have a different interpretation. How would it feel if I shared that with you? Very cool. That's permission asking. And I, I like your use of the word challenge as well, because I think people come to coaches to be challenged. You know, yeah. they, don't, they don't want to just be everybody saying, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I'd feel the same way. Yeah, you're totally right about that. You know, people want to be challenged to become better and to, to have higher levels of expectations and higher level of, of accomplishment. And just they need to be challenged by a coach from time to time. I love the yeah. way you which is why 99 times out of 100, when I ask that question, can I challenge you? Can I push back on that? Mm-hmm. Right? To get, yeah, please do. They sometimes even laugh, like, you know, you don't have to ask that. And I go, <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> you know, and it's for buy-in in the moment, too. They're coming for that, but they're still likely to give you resistance when you do it. Right? right. So it reduces the resistance because they're expecting it in that moment, even though they're expecting it globally in that moment. It makes a very big difference. That's beautiful. Thank you. I love that. Yeah. Now, just out of curiosity, these are things that you learned at the Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching, or this is stuff that you've kind of created on your own, or is it- so? Um, no, some of it's been very intuitive throughout my life, and like even when I was a peer counselor in college, that's when we learned acknowledging and validating. It sounds like you're feeling blank because blank, and that makes sense, right? It's like you know that was like the first thing I ever learned in this stuff my freshman year in college um, uh, when I was trained to be a peer counselor. So. Um, but yeah, but a lot of this, I mean, this is, you know, a lot of it is at the core of, of what we teach at IPEC, um, in the basic skills of coaching. Cool. Do you think anybody can be taught to be a coach? Anybody can be taught the skills. I think there's, depending on how, depending on an individual's hardwiring, some of the skills might be easier or harder to learn, you know, like, I took to it like a fish to water, you know, um, it just made, I just couldn't get enough of it. You know, um, I see students that come in like that. I also see, see students that struggle, um, you know, with some of the skills, uh, they tend to be so used to problem solving because maybe they have a consultant background, um, or maybe they're in a profession where they give advice and tell people what they should do. <laughs> That's what they're used to doing. So they hear a client come in and they want to give all the answers. So untraining them from giving answers 
and offering solutions and suggestions and even asking leading questions, right, uh, can be very challenging for, for some. Um, and then there are some, you know, some of us are kind of hardwired to emotionally connect very quickly mm-hmm. and to establish rapport very quickly and automatically. So some of these skills are easier for those folks to learn. Some who might be, their gifts might be elsewhere, like, for example, analyzing and solving. Mm. But human connection and, and that isn't isn't what they lead with, right. right? Then it could be a little bit more more difficult and challenging for them. And in the end, I think though, we attract as professional coaches, we attract the right clients that need whatever our style is. And then we usually attract one or two that stretch us to, to have to do something a little differently too. Like the client, I always tell students, the client that you hope and beg and plead that you'll never get, <laughs> the more you hope that that happened, that that doesn't happen, the more likely the universe is going to go, message received. Here's yeah, that. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> here's, here's a whole roster full. Yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. Do you think that people um, – use the word coaching as a uh, substitute for the word therapy and they just do therapy anyway? Hmm. You know, I think there's a, a likelihood that there's a bit of that out there. Um, and part of the, the cost to that, to the rest of us and to the profession is the credibility that coaches have in the eyes of other helping professionals like therapists, for example. Um, so if somebody's doing that, it just kind of, it adds fodder for those in the psychotherapy world that believe that, you know, coaches are just cheap amateur versions of what they do. Mm-hmm. Right. Kind of like the way a good portion of the medical profession looks at chiropractic. They look at chiropractors as a bunch of quacks. Right. And it only has been recently that insurance companies even would cover chiropractic services in some limited cases. Um, right. So there's still that bias. So I think in the therapy world, there's a lot of that uh, in terms of how it looks, how they look at, at coaches. Uh, in fact, it's very funny. I'll tell you a cute story. I gave a talk at, I believe it was the New Jersey Mental Health Association conference uh, a bunch of years ago. And I, uh, I, I was talking about working with LGBT clients and I got up and I said to myself, I said, you know, I'm talking to these therapists. Many of them are probably going to not want to hear a word I have to say once they hear my title is life coach. So I figured, well, let me just kind of name that at the very beginning. So I said, so I'm a certified life coach and executive coach. And I stopped and I said, now I know that about half of you probably just did an internal eye roll and said, oh, one of those. And people chuckled. And I said, I, you know, I get it. And I said, so here's the thing. We're not insurance reimbursable, so I'm no competition for you. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which they all laughed about. And then as they heard me speak and stuff, they got my expertise and whatnot. You know, the credibility thing was, that was just gone. There was no issue there after that. I had lunch with several people. And uh, so one of them said to me, so your clients are 100% self-pay? <laughs> I said, yeah, because we can't accept insurance. And they all went, sign me up. <laughs> you know, because therapists, you know, they work really, really hard with clients. And they get paid like, you know, one-ninth of their fees six months later yeah. with the insurance, you know. And it's a real struggle for them. 
Uh, so anyway, but so I addressed, you know, right there in the room that that whole issue about I don't do what you do and I don't claim to do what you do. But I think if there are people that are doing what you just what you just asked me about, that gets pointed to as we'll see. That's what I, that's that's why we don't like you guys. Right. Right. Yeah. Got that. Cool. And all you need is one. What do you mean? One, one, you one example for somebody to latch on to go, see, this proves everything I've always thought about life coaches. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> Um, let me ask you a question on a, from a different tact a little bit. Um, part of what the Essential Coaching Skills podcast is about is is to not only learn what skills we need to craft and hone and get better at in order to be great coaches, but also how do what skills do we need to be successful as a coach in the marketplace? How do we how do we make a living as a coach? What skills are necessary for that? Yeah, it's a great question, Doug. Because one of the things that attracts people to this kind of work is they want to help and be of service, right? And that's always about putting other people first. Mm-hmm. And that's a gift for being a good coach. That's essential. For being a successful coach, if you don't layer on top of that some other things, it'll work against you because you'll tend to undervalue your services, give them away, and then you can't earn a living at it. And so then you go and you get a part-time job to kind of supplement the income. And then the part-time job becomes a full-time job. And before you know it, your coaching becomes a smaller and smaller part of what you do. And then you give it up and it becomes maybe a hobby at that point, you know. So layering on top of the love and concern and compassion, right, um, and the desire to help has to be uh, a, a center of entrepreneurship, you know, looking for opportunities to grow the business, um, and not being afraid of selling, you know, um, there's a book I read once it was called, um, sell is not a four letter word. And it was written for coaches to take the pain out of selling. Right. Um, huh? Is that a good book? Do you recommend that book? Yeah. Yeah. It was actually, um, I got it when I did a coach marketing training program. Um, and they, uh, they authored the book. And so they, you know, they gave that out in the program as well. Uh, so the whole program was amazing and it was just really great. And it's all about, you know, you have to balance the desire to help and serve with an ability to see opportunities to help, to see opportunities to grow your business, to see opportunities to partner with people, and then to not feel like, selling and promoting and offering that somehow goes against your nature to give and be caring and concerned about other people. So how, how do people do that? So I think part of it is recognizing that what we've been told about marketing and selling, what we've been taught or what it has become for many things, for many people and in many industries um, is feels gross it feels gross, but it doesn't have to be because really selling is about providing somebody with an opportunity to get what they want and to get what they need. And if I'm able to help you get that, let's partner. If I'm not, I'm not interested in you giving me any money for what I do. Right. Um, so it's, it's gotta be a win on both sides. So when I'm meeting with a prospective client, I'm not in this mindset of, okay, how do I get this other client? I got to get them to sign up to work with me. I might not be the right coach for them. They might not be the right client for me. I might know a coach that specializes in what they want, that 
would make a much bigger difference with them. And I'm happy to refer that work out because that comes back in other ways, right? Um, so I go in with the mindset of, I have 45 minutes to make a difference with this person right now, make a difference in their life. Part of that difference may include continuing to work with me. Part of it may not. Hmm. I don't know. And I go in open and curious. I just want to leave you better than I found you, however I can, in 45 minutes. So let me just stop you there. So what I hear you saying is that you do a 45-minute session, basically, a coaching session with the person, almost like a free coaching session, um, just to get to know whether or not you mutually feel like this is a good fit for you as a coach to be in a relationship. And for them to make the same evaluation of me. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, and yeah, and it's... it's, um, and it's less of a coaching session, like a full-on coaching session, mm-hmm. uh, and more of, and I even set it up this way, you know, I, I'll say to the client, so I want to know a little bit about what's bringing you in, you know, the 50,000-foot view of what are you looking for in a coach, mm-hmm. and then we'll talk a little bit about what coaching is, what it isn't. I'll do a little brief demo of coaching with you for five or ten minutes. We'll process and debrief how that happened and what you noticed that I did and didn't do. Um, and then if it feels like a fit, we'll talk about you becoming a client. And at that point, we'll talk about packages and fees and whatnot. How does that sound? And they're like, yeah, great. And then that's what we do. Right. So right away, I'm setting up the expectation from the beginning. Um, the, the, the idea that if it's a fit, we'll talk about working together, but first let's explore that. You know, and then the groundwork for that, of course, is I, I want you to understand what it is that I do as a coach and don't do as a coach. Uh, you know, I had somebody who um, what she really wanted was a typical kind of career counselor, not a career coach. Mm-hmm. I was sensing that. So I made a delineation between what I do as a career coach versus a career counselor who's going to help you with your resume and help you find the jobs to apply for and all that. And I said, that is not what I do. For me, what I would do with you is more about the confidence building and the inner work of making you the best person you can be so that when you go out for those jobs, you're showing up powerfully. So you want to be clear on which work that you want. And she's like, wow, I never thought of that. And I think I want a traditional career counselor. Do you know any? <laughs> you know, And that's great because that saves us both a lot of time and whatnot. I wouldn't want her to invest you know, money into something and then halfway through we find out this isn't what she needed. I think that's really great. When you do a coaching session with a person, how long is that? A, a typical regular session as part of once they're a client, it's that 45 to 50 minutes. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. My initial session is usually a little bit longer because there's much more background information that I'm getting and whatnot. So. Okay, great. So you, that's really great. That's great information because I think a lot of people think that they're going to you know, put an ad in the proverbial paper, which of course doesn't exist, but make a website or you know, put a Facebook ad or something out there and then people will just you know, say, hey, I want to hire you as my coach. But you actually do like a 45-minute discovery session, if you will, um, where you're actually sitting with a person perhaps virtually now at this point in time, but uh, yes. that's, that leads me to another question. What are you doing? Now, when, you, when you've done coaching prior to COVID-19, um, was it in person or was it on the phone or was it on Zoom calls? How did... Yeah, so actually it was, essentially it was mostly in person. I like in-person contact, right? And when I first went through the coach training program and learned that most coaches work by phone, I was like, what? No, no, no. I'm going to work in person. So, uh, so I generally work in person and then it evolved over the years to 50, 50 in person and phone. 
Um, and I always give the client a choice how they want to do it. And sometimes a client might come in person normally, but then on a given day, they're like, you know what? I can't get out of the office in time to get to you. Can we do by phone? Yeah. Or their sessions at one and they call me at five of or email me at five of and they go, I'm going to be calling in for my session in five minutes because I couldn't make it in time. That's fine. Now with COVID, it's all Zoom. And I rarely did video even back before, before COVID because I was used to phone because when I first started coaching video calls didn't exist Uh, when I first learned coaching from Thomas Leonard it was on a a dial-up phone and I recorded the sessions on my voicemail um, I don't even remember what he called them Um, (laughs) the phone answering machine I'd record this oh wow micro cassettes that I'd put in this thing and record the calls but yeah I met Thomas Leonard at a, uh, a conference where we were both presenting and I liked his presentation but I met him like for a minute um, but after that it was all you know over the telephone so you know all my training was over the telephone with, with Stephen most of all my coaches are our phone coaches yeah well it's funny because uh, in when I went through my coach training program um, we had these weekly teleclasses and you dialed in and it was all by phone right and I think about that now I'm like how did I survive that? Now it's all webinars. Right. <laughs> there's weekly webinars. And then of course there's the in-person 30 hour weekend trainings that we do, but the weekly webinars, it's like, how did we do this by phone? You know? Yeah. Um, and, and we thought that technology was pretty amazing. I know. Yeah. And it is, you know, things are, are always amazing. When you, especially when you stop and think about it, like what we're doing right now is pretty amazing. Where are you even? I'm in New York. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I also want to go back to your, your, your other question about um, uh, what what skills you have to layer on to the care, concern, and compassion to be successful uh, financially as a coach. Um, you know, I think that if you're in the therapy model in your mind, mm-hmm. then that tends to be like, okay, well, when someone needs me, they'll come to me. You're not going to get a lot of business that way as a coach. Mm-hmm. As a therapist, you will, because it's a medical model. People get referred and you're on insurance panels and referral lists and whatnot, right? But as a coach, that's not going to happen. So you need to really go out there, share yourself as a coach. So I always ask people what they do. for. I play, first of all, I play the 10-foot game, which means anybody within 10 feet of you is a potential client. So I'll always ask somebody before they ask me, so what do you do in the world, right? Whether that's for a living or they're, you know, whatever. And... So then I'm listening like, is this a potential client for me, given anything that they've said? Then when they say, well, what do you, why? What do you do? Right? I'm actually now able to frame coaching in terms of how it might help somebody in their particular situation, anything they may have shared. Um, and then have a great conversation. Even ask an empowering question or two. Like, oh, so tell me a little bit about your, your, your company that you're running. What's your biggest challenge? If you didn't have that challenge, what would be different? And that, you know, and then... They, they enjoy that conversation. I'm like, well, you know, so would you like to set up some time? We could talk about how I might be able to really serve you really well in, in uh, taking your, your, your business to a whole nother level. I'd love to talk about that opportunity if you're up for it. Sure. Trade cards and set up that exploratory session and to not be afraid of doing that because, oh my God, that seems so pushy and blah, blah. I had to get past that. I thought all that. I didn't want to do that. And I just, I've managed through, um, practice and training to recognize like it's about serving people. It's not about, I'm not selling used cars. It's not about getting a client. It's about serving people. 
Exactly. Exactly. And sometimes people will talk about closing a sale or closing a client. I call it opening the client because we're opening them up to a new possibility. I'm not closing anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. That's, that's incredibly valuable. I mean, I think what you've just told us all will be you know, amazingly valuable for people. And how do you do that now? I mean, obviously, um, when you talk about the 10-foot rule, it's like we, don't, we have to stay at least six feet apart at this <laughs> But, you know, we don't go out anymore. This is how I talk to people now. I don't, you know, I'm sitting here in my living room talking to you in New York over this electronic thing. Um, how do you do that 10-foot rule now? How do, you, how do you meet and engage with potential clients now? Yeah. You know, it, so it's, it's interesting. Um, so I'm not on planes <laughs> flying anywhere now, you know, and, and whatnot. So, yeah, so it is a little bit more difficult. Um, but webinars are a really good way of engaging folks. Um, in fact, one of the things that, um, uh, that I'm working on now is I do a program for not just coaches, but for other holistic practitioners as well on how to create a webinar that's powerful and profitable and really sells your services. So a free webinar that you can create that you can do again and again, so it's, you kind of have it on autopilot after a while, after you adjust it and whatnot. Um, that, and then how to have that be a, a presentation that enlivens people. It gives them really good content that they can actually use, and you're giving that away for free. And then also you make an offer in that. So, you know, hey, we can only go so far in a 90-minute webinar. I don't want to leave you all hanging. Here's, you know, here's an opportunity for those who are interested uh, for them to then sign up for you know, your 12-week coaching or your six-week program or whatnot. Um, so, you know, we talk about all kinds of strategies in that program for how to make that happen to grow your business. And webinars are a great way to do that specifically today. No, that's brilliant. Yeah. Right. So. Um, wow. Mark Shaw, thank you so much. Um, one one last question, if I may. Um, you, you've referred to a couple times in our conversation of the 50,000-foot view. Mm-hmm. What, what do you mean by that? So. I, I actually think I know what you mean, but I just want you to clarify that because I think that's something that people can really appreciate. Yeah, sure, sure. So it's the overview as opposed to the details, right? Um, and so, you know, for example, if somebody comes in and they're, I'm starting a session with them and I say, okay, so what are we coaching about today? And I'm kind of, then I want to narrow down what specifically we're going to talk about, but they're going to give me the 50,000 foot view at that point. It's like, here's the story. Here's what I want to coach on. I have this challenge, this challenge, da, 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 right? And there's a whole story, right? That's the 50,000-foot view. Well, then I'm going to drill down to, so what specifically do we want to create around that today in this next 45 minutes? Cool. And um, I, I might just say, I was uh, once listening to uh, Stephen Covey, um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People guy, um, talking about a similar sort of notion, but he had actually at least three levels. You know, he talked about how uh, every now and again we should do a seminar like the one I was at where we're looking at, you know, the 30,000, like, you know, jetliner kind of thing. So you can see out the window, look, there's my city down there. It looks like a little patchwork thing. You know, so you can see your life in a, in a big view. And, but then there's also what people mostly do on a day-to-day basis is basically like I'm in the forest going from tree to tree to tree and I can't see, you know, the, the forest through the trees kind of thing. But then there's also the um, you know hot air balloon level or the, the the small prop plane level where you can you know say oh there's my house down there and you can really see oh there's true north there's the mountain range over there so you can see the direction that you want to go that you'd set from the 
jetliner view. But you you know it's it's more it's a better view than just you know tree to tree to tree. So I, I I like that distinction. I think that's kind of an interesting thing as well. And I think frankly that that's what coaching offers people is it helps to, to not only get that fifty thousand view but also keep them going towards that true north that they're heading in even when they're going detail you know tree to tree to tree to tree. Yeah, exactly. I I, I always talk about that as connecting with your inner GPS. Right, right. You go through a tunnel, you get disconnected from the GPS and the little cartoon of the car spins around because it doesn't know where it's going, right? How many of us feel like our lives look right, like that, right? right? You know, and then when you get connected, whether that's through, you know, meditation, centering, or a high-level conversation about your life or whatever, you yeah. suddenly start feeling like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, okay, this is the way I want it. There it is, yeah, that's good. You know, so, yeah. That's yeah. great, I love it. God, I could talk to you all day. This is fantastic. Mark Shaw, it's such a pleasure to meet you and talk with you. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're welcome. It, 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 it's a pleasure. Um, and uh, glad, to, glad to be here. And, uh, yeah. On record, if people want to get hold of you, where would they, where would they do that? So you can reach me on my website at markshaw.com. That's M-A-R-K-S-C-H-A-L-L. People always forget the C. So markshaw.com. And, um, or just reach out to me directly at mark at markshaw.com. And actually, the next, um, uh, the next free webinar, to answer your marketing question too, the next free webinar that I'm doing about our six-week program about building webinars that are profitable and powerful takes place on August 26th. Um, and that's going to be at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, so you can reach out to me as well, and I can send the information uh, about that to register. And that's 2020, of course, for those of you who are listening to this sometime in the future. <laughs> yes, when COVID is a, a thing of the past. <laughs> yes, thank God. And um, meanwhile, you're also a trainer at IPEC? Yes, yes. So I've been an IPEC instructor for about 13 or 14 years, too. So people could actually learn coaching from you there? Yes, absolutely. What's, how would they find out how to become a coach through you? So I could actually refer them to the admissions department at IPEC if they want to reach out to me. That's great. Okay, great. So, yeah, certainly. Yeah. So, um, or you can visit uh, their website directly at IPECcoaching.com. IPECcoaching.com. Great. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mark Shaw. You're very welcome, Doug O'Brien. My pleasure. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for joining me. If you want any more information about today's show, please visit our website at www.essentialcoachingskills.com. Be sure to tune in again next week for our next episode and discover even more about the systems and the secrets that set the best apart.